pleasure and privilege to introduce uh, a young man who has actually preached here before. He was here uh, last July, I believe it was. Um, and I want to uh, introduce to you now the now Reverend Chris Reed. Um, Chris serves as the Associate Campus uh, Minister for Howard University in Washington, D.C. And uh, my wife, Sarah, and our kids actually had the... Uh, privilege of going to his uh, ordination service, and I was actually on his commission and got to take part in a wonderful night of uh, worship and uh, laying on of hands and commissioning this young man for a life of service to the kingdom. And so with that, Chris, I want to welcome you up here to the pulpit. Welcome, brother. We uh, look forward to uh, hearing you preach from the Word. Say what a joy it is uh, to return to Gainesville Perez. Uh, thank you, Pastor Jack, for the kind invitation. And thank you, congregation, for welcoming me um, back here. I bring you greetings from Reform University Fellowship at Howard University, where the gospel is abounding. Um, our goal for the year was 300 new student contacts. And in the first six months of the semester, we have about 550. So we're connecting with students. I um, launched the student athlete ministry this semester on a whim. And so we have 45 student athletes on Howard's campus meeting weekly uh, for fellowship in God's word. I sent out a newsletter that said many of these students do not own physical Bibles. Would any donors like to submit uh, requests or, or finances for Bibles? And in one day we had 60 new Bibles. So the gospel really is abounding. Um, um, and so I'm super thankful. If you'd like to stay updated uh, on my newsletter, I have a sign-up sheet. Um, we would love to chat with you after the service. Uh, this morning we look at a familiar passage in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And this is how the Bible reads. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles see you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. A timely word, isn't it? Fresh out of business school, a young man answered a want ad for an accountant. Now he was in the interview with a very nervous owner who ran a small business that he himself had started. I need someone with an accounting degree, the owner said, but mainly I'm looking for someone to do my worrying for me. Excuse me, the young man said. 
I worry about a lot of things, said the owner, but I don't want to have to worry about money. Your job will be to take all the money worries off my back. I see, the young man said. And how much does this job pay? I'll start you at $80,000. $80,000, the young man exclaimed. How can such a small business afford a sum like that? That, said the owner, is your first worry. <laughs> I share this because how many of us often find ourselves like the owner and like the young man, affected by worry, anxious for many things? Uh, truly, as a society, we have become an anxious people. Whether it be outside the church or inside the community of faith, we are prone to anxiety, consumed by fear, tending to assume the worst possible outcome, and are concerned about most areas of life. We see it in one another. We feel its impact in our own lives. Like the owner, some are anxious about financial stability and job security. Some students can be troubled over their next grade. How will this grade affect me? What will my GPA say about me? Relationships can bring stress. We desire to be known and liked, but fear conflict, as well as others' perceptions of us. Parents worry over their children. As gospel ministers, we, we know God has called us to be faithful, but are often anxious about our performance. How will congregants prepare, respond for our, to our ministry? How, how do we measure up to other ministries? Some of us are just apprehensive about this week. And why do we worry? Well, we struggle to trust whether the people and things we care about will be provided for and protected, whether our plans and hopes will come to pass. And if I am unable to get it done or secure it myself, I question if all will be well. I fear what might happen to me or what won't happen for me. And when my control feels threatened, I become anxious and restless. As one writer put it, Worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. There was one elderly madam who remarked, I've had a lot of trouble in my life, most of which never happened. <laughs> Another pastor summed it up better. Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. And so it begs the question, does it not? How can you and I overcome anxiety while living in a worrisome society? Well, the good news of the Christian faith, the beauty of the Christian gospel, is you and I are not the first humans to wrestle with worry. But throughout biblical history, God's people are frequently anxious about provision and protection, security and salvation. But what's even greater is that the Lord Jesus has something to say about the topics on our minds, such as anxiety. Because he created us and knows our thoughts, Jesus does not remain silent about what you and I carry, but has a word of comfort for those who worry. So if you walked into the 1030 service anxious for what's to come, if you have concerns this morning, Jesus has a word for you. Here in Matthew chapter 6, he's preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount, where he's addressing the ethics of the kingdom of God, what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus, sitting atop this mountainside, looks out to a crowd with fears and worries, burdens and insecurities. It's to this multitude whom he speaks to. In essence, Jesus says, 
I have come to provide a better way than worrying your way through life. Remembering who God is and who we are in relationship to Him is key. So how can you and I overcome anxiety in this worrisome society? This is the question Jesus answers in our passage today. But before he tells us how to not be anxious, Jesus explains why we ought not be anxious. And he opens by telling us, we ought not be anxious because there is more to the Christian life than what often causes us anxiety. Watch it, verse 25 he opens, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now this pericope, this section comes off the back of Jesus' previous one where he taught, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but lay up your treasures here in heaven. And so what Jesus is doing is pushing all of us to cherish and serve God above all the material and temporal gain here on the earth. And after finishing that section of the sermon, it's as if Jesus is anticipating the emails he'll get the following week after the sermon. Lord, if we place all our treasure here in heaven, how might our material needs be met? Lord, if we're focused on your kingdom, who's going to provide for our physical needs? Who, who's going to take care of our lives here on earth? And it's in light of this very concern that Jesus moves to give his prohibition, his main exhortation. Do not be anxious about your life here on earth. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. The term life represents the material goods that supports us. Food maintains our life. It continues our existence. Clothes protect the body, maintaining our livelihood. And Jesus, knowing the hearts of his listeners, how much provision of food and protection of clothing are on our minds, calls us not to be anxious for such things. Now the word anxious, this is important, doesn't refer merely to an occasional anxious thought. Because for most of us by 8.30 a.m., that is us. But to be anxious in the Bible means to dwell, to meditate, to ruminate on your anxious thoughts. Do not allow your mind to chew on your worries, Jesus says. Though, not only does Jesus give the call to not be anxious, but he follows with the cause for not being anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, for is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? What a question. Because while it's rhetorical, it's countercultural. Jesus' reasoning is that life consists of much more than what often causes us anxiety. The meals we eat, the jobs we have, and the clothes we wear. Doesn't this go against our natural human tendency? We, we know Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. We, we know that the most important things in our life are what we'll eat and drink and how safe we'll be. And understand, Jesus is, is not calling us to indifference or apathy for such matters, but he's calling us to higher matters. As Christians, we have a greater priority, a deeper concern, a higher calling. We have a fundamental goal beyond the material or temporal. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Friends, don't we know, we know our lives consist of much more than the Chick-fil-A we consume. 
the wine in our cellar, the vineyard vines in our closets. But if the Christian life is more than these, why are we tangled up in worry over such things? You see, what Jesus is doing is pushing you and me to reflect on our priorities and see that there's more to pursue in our Christian journey. Do not be anxious only for the here and now, for your material or temporal needs, limiting your focus from God's mission. And while Jesus is preaching to an audience who, who feared going without the bare necessities, we, we might have more in common with the original audience than ever before. We too must reflect. Are the matters which often cause us anxiety the concerns of God or the concerns of man? If we were to take inventory, in, inventory of our worries just in 2023, have we been worried over, over the matters of God's kingdom or our own kingdom? Our own comfort, pleasure, success, security, and life plan. How often are we concerned about God's mission, God's work going forth? When was the last time we tossed and turned at night over the gospel being known in our child's school? Being known on our street for the gospel going out in our town? Might our priorities merely be the temporal, the here and now? And may we need to mature as Christians, moving our concerns to the things of God, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your physical necessities or luxuries because we have more valuable commitments, eternal matters to pursue as the church. But how many of us know that merely being told, do not be anxious, do not worry about your life, does not calm nor release our anxiety? Often when people at home tell us, don't worry, that makes us worry even more. And Jesus knows us. And so he goes on to illustrate the second reason you and I should, be, should not be anxious. The loving character of our Heavenly Father. We ought not be anxious because of God's providential care for His creation. When we remember how much the Father loves and values us, we can trust Him to handle that which causes us anxiety. And so Jesus, what he does is he uses two staples from everyday life, food and clothing, as examples for God's gracious provision. And by seeing the connections Jesus makes to creatures in creation, we can be assured in our relationship with God. First, Jesus calls us to remember God's care for the birds. Verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If you're anxious about what you'll eat, if you're overwhelmed about money and resources being provided, if you wonder how things will turn out, take notice of the birds. Go outside and watch how they fly and find food. Have you know, ever noticed that birds don't grow their own food? They don't, they don't store food in the fridge. But they always seem to just find food for their families. They, they are, they're always sustained and nourished. Because while birds are not in control of growing their food, they, they don't grow anxious over finding food. Because when you know where your help comes from, you can go to work without worrying. And birds are assured that they have a helper, a sustainer, 
who care so much for them that food is provided in every single season. A bird trusts in its provider, knowing his loving character, and therefore, birds live an anxious free life, careless in the care of their creator, already in expectation that the one who met their needs last year will be faithful to do it again this year. It was the psalmist who said, he provides food for the cattle and for the young birds when they call. And here we are reminded that God is so sovereign, so in control over the universe, that even the feeding of a blue jay falls within his concern. But God is so loving for the blue jays that he suffers them not to perish, but sustains them out of his abundant love. God is a caring God. God is a loving Father. And Jesus says to you and me, for those of you questioning where your help comes from, for those of you who worry Monday through Sunday, if God cares so much for a bird that he ensures it is nourished, what makes you think he'll let you go without? Are you not of more value to your father than the birds? Are you not worth more, superior, more loved and cherished by God than a bird? You whom he adopted as his beloved son and daughter, when you were God's enemy, sent his only son to die for so that y'all could be reconciled. You whom he's given every blessing in Christ, who he's forgiven in his sight, who he chose and called precious. You whom he's given every spiritual blessing. If, if he makes sure the birds have food on the table, if he holds the bird steady through every trial and trouble, are you not of more value than they? Will God leave you and your loved ones out to dry? If, if he didn't spare his own son, will he not graciously give you all things? If God cares so much for the birds outside that he provides for them, how much more will God actually provide for you, his beloved child? When you're anxious, do you ever remind your soul how much you're valued in the eyes of God? Do you ever rehearse God's care for you, his delight in you? Said the robin to the sparrow, Friend, I simply do not know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow back to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as you and me. Friends, you are worth more than a whole lot of sparrows. God cares for you. He cares for your anxieties. Cast all your anxiety because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5 reads. And because your heavenly father cares for you, he's going to provide for you. Jesus says, when you look at the birds, you need not fret for you are worth more than a whole lot of sparrows. But for those of us who love to fret, we love to worry, we love to tell everyone about our worries, we must consider, what does worry really add to our life? Who by means of being anxious to, can add to his or her life? Jesus asks in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his or her span of life? Friends, the answer is nobody. We love to worry. But often forget that worrying doesn't actually add a single moment to our lifespan. If anything, it takes away from our lifespan. It hurts us. Nor does worrying actually change anything about our situation. It was the author Jody Picoult. She's such a great writer. She said, anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do but doesn't get you very far. Ah, that's tweetable. 
But Jesus' desire is that we would not worry. That we wouldn't be anxious for our lives, for our Heavenly Father is concerned about our lives. And Jesus illustrates this by calling us to consider God's concern for the lilies. Verse 27 through 30, it's beautiful. Jesus says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Why are we anxious about clothing? For some of us, clothing has become more than just expressing who we are, but, but now we use it to communicate to others that we belong and have value. Others, we're just anxious over not having enough clothes. We're, we're not content, but we fear going without. However, when, when we recall God's concern for the flowers, it will give us peace and anxiety, peace amid anxiety over such things. Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. You ever look at a flower? They don't toil nor spin. Flowers, flowers don't make their own clothes or clothe themselves. They are not productive in any way. Flowers are more passive than birds. But flowers are one of the most beautiful parts of all creation in nature. You ever walk outside in the spring? I'm from Chicago. I've been to the Botanic Garden in Chicago and taken in the beauty of an azalea, a lilac, or a daffodil. This is why we love to give students flowers at their graduation. Why a bride carries a bouquet down the aisle. Why we decorate weddings and funerals with flowers. Or, or we gift our valentine with flowers because flowers are dressed so beautifully, so elegantly. But who created the flowers? Who dressed the flowers in their beauty? It was God too. Who cares so much for the flowers that he dressed them in their magnificence. God dressed them so well. Jesus says, not even the richest and best dressed king in all of Israel's history, King Solomon, could outdress the flowers that God made. First King 10 tells us that not even Solomon in his designer fashion, his royal robes and expensive shoes, was dressed as well as the flowers made by God. Because God so lavished on the lily his care that Solomon's glory could not come close. And, and what's amazing about this is not only are flowers unproductive, but they are not enduring. They're alive today and gone tomorrow. The grass withers and the flower fades. Or in Jesus' case, they're thrown into the oven as fuel for fire. But God is so concerned for the flowers that he clothes them even though their existence is so short-lived. God creates with so much extravagant and loving care the flowers which are destined for a purposeless end. And Jesus wants you and I to reflect this morning. If God is so concerned for a piece of grass that he clothes it, will he not much more clothe you whom he's chosen? Do you see your value over the flowers? Do you see the lesser to greater argument Jesus is trying to convince you of? If God cares so much for a flower that is here temporarily, you can be confident that he will always care for you who will be with him for eternity. How much more does he love you? After all, how much more will he clothe you? 
If he supplies what's needed for the flowers, how much more will he supply what's needed for your ministry? How much more will he provide security for your family? How much more will he surround you with loving community? How much more will he open the right doors and ordain the right opportunities? This is why I love the doctrine of God's providence. Can I nerd out for just a moment? God is... I love Reformed theology. God is so much a God that even the lilies are cared for by Him. But He's also the God who specially preserves and governs each of our individual lives. Surely we are much more important to God than the lilies. Therefore, if the flowers outside trust God, we ought to trust Him as well. One day, a dad and his son were out in the country, climbing some cliffs. The dad heard a voice from above yell, Hey dad, catch me! And he turned around to see his son joyfully jumping down off a rock straight at him. And the dad caught him, of course. And for a moment on the ground after the dad caught him, he could hardly talk. But he was angry. Son, why did you do that? And his son responded with a remarkable calmness. Because you're my dad. The child's whole assurance was based on the fact that his father was trustworthy. So he could live life to the hilt because his father could be trusted. Church, if, if God provides for his natural creation, how much more should the church trust God to provide for his human creation? However, not only does God care about our needs, but he's also aware of our needs. Therefore, we are not, ought not be anxious, thirdly, because of God's faithful knowledge of his children's needs. Verse 31 and 32, Jesus reinforces, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. After explaining how much God cares to provide for you and me, Jesus says, Therefore, don't walk around the job saying, what are we going to eat or drink or where, where, where will my provision come from? Because our anxious speech reveals that we either don't know that God will provide or believe that he will provide. And this is Jesus' argument for why constant worry and unwarranted concern is problematic for a Christian. Because this is how people who do not know God speak and live. After all, don't the Gentiles seek after all these things? The Gentiles refers to those outside the family of faith, outside the community of God, non-Christians. And Jesus says that, well, non-Christians seek, they set their minds, they worry every day over what they'll eat and drink and wear, because they do not believe in a God who will do what? Provide for such things. They do not acknowledge a Heavenly Father who knows their needs. Therefore, for you and me to live out in the world as anxious as those who don't believe in God. What does that say about our faith? Now, of course, there are circumstances when anxiety is more physiological. And we, I'm on a college campus where students are anxious and depressed always. And so they do need to sit down with someone or receive further aid. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this sermon. But what Jesus is addressing is the church's frequent distrust in God to care for our needs, failing to acknowledge his sovereignty, his plan, his goodness and love. For this is the antithesis of faith. Friends, don't we worry over every single thing? 
And for most of us in here this morning, I'm going to bet, we don't have trouble believing God cares for our needs. But I think we really do struggle to trust that God is actually near enough to intervene in the practical details of life. But Jesus is saying, no, God is near. So near that he cares for you. He knows your needs in your prayer journal. You do have a for even the practical details of your life. God in his omniscience already knows what you need. He's personally concerned about you. His love and concern are trustworthy and unjust. You do have a heavenly father from whom every good and perfect gift comes down. Thus, our lives as Jesus followers should look different from the world. We should not be constantly worried over everything since God is already concerned and aware of our like for the church to be characterized by confidence and calm faith in his provision and faithful knowledge. Rest. For we have a heavenly father who knows our needs. I'm reminded of a mother and her four-year-old daughter who were preparing for bed one night. The girl was afraid of the dark and her mom on this occasion, dad was out, was fearful also. When the lights were turned off in the room, the child, the girl, she caught a glimpse of the moon outside the window and asked, Mom, um, is the moon God's light? And the mom was like, ah, yes, yeah, it, it really is. She said, okay, I'll, I'll go to sleep. But one more question, will, will God ever put out his light and go to sleep? And the mom said, no, my child, God, God never goes to sleep. Then it was out of the simplicity of the child's faith that she said something that gave reassurance to her fearful mother. Well, mom, one more thing. As long as God is awake, I guess there's no sense of both of us staying awake. Friends, is there anybody at Gainesville Press who can agree? When you have a Heavenly Father who stays awake, who knows your needs, who will be faithful to take care of your needs, you can go to sleep at night. No longer do you have to stay up worrying, anxious about how things will work out, but you can trust your Heavenly Father who watches over you as you sleep, who protects you and supplies God who knows your needs. You can rest in Him. You can have some of the best sleep of your life this week because He is reliable. And lastly, because God knows your needs and will take care of your concerns, you can give your life to the concerns of Him, of His kingdom. Verse 33, Jesus closes, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you know God is trustworthy to take care of your needs, you can truly pursue his kingdom and his righteousness without worry over all these other things. And this is Jesus' answer for anxiety, his message for this morning. We do not have to be anxious for tomorrow when we seek God's kingdom today. To seek God first is to have your fundamental goal, your main priority in life, God's kingdom reigning and ruling here on earth and pursuing his righteousness. To release your desire, releasing your life plan for, for your kingdom in exchange for his kingdom. To devote your life to see God's word in the gospel impact the life of your spouse, of your children, of your neighbors, of your classmates, of this city. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. When, when our world is making its highest ambition, material gain and present pleasure, the church's highest ambition is to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus gave his life for, to seek and save the lost. Truly, God's mission is worthy of your highest allegiance. You say, Chris, prove it to me. Watch it. When your highest concern is God's kingdom, What's the result? All these things will be added to you. All these things. All the things that cause us anxiety. The food, the clothes, the water, the material and temporal concerns. When we give over our worries to God in pursuit of His kingdom, we can trust that He takes care of our worries, meeting our needs. It was Paul who said, I am certain that my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Or, we sang hymns this morning, my favorite hymn says, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. This doesn't mean that on this side of eternity we'll live a trouble or pain-free life or that God's answer will always be yes. But even permitted suffering is within the orbit of His care. Friends, God is worthy of our trust. After all, has He not carried us thus far? If He's provided in the past, you can trust Him as your keeper. If He's cured you of sickness, you can trust Him as your healer. If He, if he forgave your sins, you can, for, you can trust that He's for you and not against you. If, if God has ever providentially moved events in your life, you can trust that His plan for you is actually better than your plan for you. God loves you. God cares for you. So seek His kingdom first. When you're worried, seek God first. When you're on edge, seek God first. When you don't know how you'll make it, seek God first. And therefore, as I conclude, church, we know today has enough to occupy our attention. So if you're anxious for tomorrow, let God take care of it. And you seek His kingdom today. And if there is a new trouble that tomorrow brings, there is going to be a new grace to carry us through. We do not have to be anxious for tomorrow when we seek God's kingdom today. And so as you go forth into the week and into the new year, you are going to face situations and challenges that will bring anxiety. But like Charles Stanley wrote, as you walk through the valley of the unknown, you will find the footprints of Jesus both in front of you and beside you. The question is, will you trust him? Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for blessing us with another day and giving us the opportunity to worship you this Sunday. Father, I ask that you would calm our hearts and our minds as there are many things that cause us anxiety, whether it be in our own hearts or in the world. Jesus, I ask that you would remind us of your faithfulness up to this point in our lives. And when we do become anxious, you, you tell us, we can look to the birds and the lilies and see your provision for them and see your care for them, seeing how much more you care for us and will provide for us. And so, Father, I ask that you would bless us forward as we now partake of your meal, the Lord's Supper. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.